0: Ladies and gentlemen welcome to RMIT's Story Hall. I'm Suzanne Davies, Director of the RMIT Gallery which is immediately below us. We are delighted that you're joining us this evening for the showing of B-Movie, Lust and Sound in West Berlin. For those of you who've been to RMIT functions, you would know, or that functions that are connected to the gallery, you would know that we address the location of this gallery, and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. And we acknowledge that this building, Story Hall, located on the land for which the Rawandri and their forebears are the traditional people. And we recognize the cultural and historical significance. Of this site to those people. We're delighted to be able to present this free screening as part of the Goethe Institute's international exhibition, Guinea de la Tonten, Subculture in Germany in the 1980s, which is on show downstairs in our MIT gallery. Where we also have a, a little taste of Australian subculture of the, of the same period represented in our exhibition. Australian ingenious amateurs. The exhibition opened last night and will run till 27 February, which is the night of White Night, <laughs> when we will be open for 24 hours. Which is a bit of a, doesn't we all end up very tired? And if you haven't already done so, we urge you to see the exhibition. There's plenty to interact with and some extraordinarily powerful images of sounds and visceral experiences to be had. There's also a major public program that we've attached with our partners, the Goethe Institute. And available at the end of the showing is the invitation. And on the back are all the public programs, which you are most welcome to take part in. As this is a special viewing of the movie, um, which we've, we've been obliged to advertise as unclassified and strictly 18-plus. So if any of you look younger than 18, I apologise, because you would have been asked to present your ID. I'm also obliged to point out that there may be some scenes that, will, that could be a cause for distress for some viewers. So if you're a sensitive soul about certain topics just a virtual gaze. B-movie Lust and Sound in West Berlin is we've decided to describe as a wild ride through music, art, and social chaos in West Berlin in the 1980s. What we've planned is a short discussion, an introductory talk, artists, subcultures, and squatters, Berlin at the end of the Cold War, and it's presented by the RMITs Um, European Union Centre. Our speakers tonight, to my right, and some of you I see were here last night, I recognise your faces. Matilda Wey, who's a freelance artist and very talented singer, who works as a consultant for the Visual Arts Division of the Goethe Institute in Munich. Matilda is immediately on my right. Next to her is Professor Alison Lewis, Professor of Linguistics at the University of Melbourne and an expert in post-war German culture and society. She lived in West Berlin for a couple of years at the end, or the start, sorry, of the 1980s. Correct? Yes? I think we took it from your text. <laughs> sorry if that's not right. It's right, I'm having trouble hearing. You can correct it. And we're delighted that Stuart Braun has been able to join us this evening. He's just flown back from Berlin. He's an Australian writer and a Berlin resident and author of a new book, City of Exiles, Berlin from the Outside In. Stuart moved to Berlin in 2009 and he became fascinated with the fact that so many people from outside the city seemed to make it their home. He was particularly attached to exploring why it had such an allure for visionary artists, musicians, and other free spirits from around the world. Uh, We don't have copies of Stuart's book tonight. It will be launched on December the 2nd at RMIT Gallery and 5.30 to 6.30 and Stuart will be speaking specifically on that topic, correct?
1: Correct, here it is. One copy.
0: (laughs) None of us have had a go at it, okay. The screening will start immediately, we finish. We think about 15 to 20 minutes of discussion. Uh, There'll be no interval. The the film lasts for 94 minutes and we're anticipating the event will finish at 8 p.m. We're a little bit over time now. Maybe a few minutes later. The last thing, I ask you please to turn off or turn down the tone on your telephones. If you've got them in your bags, just check, are they on silent? (laughs) We always think they're okay, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. Ladies and gentlemen, our panel of discussants. Well, thanks everybody.
2: We've already been introduced, so we have Matilda here, Matilda V and Stuart Brown on my right. Um, what we thought we'd do tonight is um, take you through Berlin uh, at the time of the 80s, then take you through the music, um, and then particularly talk about the bands that are uh, in Matilda's exhibition, and um, talk then a little bit about the subcultures and this incredible attraction that uh, Berlin had for you know, basically lots of people, including Australians, including people in Melbourne, and then maybe touch on um, Stuart's book. And then both Matilda and Stuart will talk a bit about the film. Um, now I just wanted to sort of talk about Berlin in the in the 80s, because it was still the Cold War. And I think it's, you know, it's something that um, people nowadays sort of tend to forget that it was a really divided city, it was a city with a heavily fortified concrete you know, and barbed wire wall running down the middle. Um, now, it was divided into East and West Berlin. So we had East Berlin, which was still the capital of East Germany. So you know, it still retained its capital status, but West Berlin was in this weird sort of limbo status. It was effectively separated from the rest of um, West Berlin. It was no longer the capital. I think we sort of often forget that now. It was no longer the capital of West Berlin. That was in Bonn. Um, So, you know, in many ways, West Berlin was sort of like cut adrift from the rest of the country. Um, You know, it was a bit like a, you know, a capitalist enclave in the in the middle of this sort of huge, you know, communist, or a capitalist island, if you like, in a a communist sea. and I think that sort of geopolitical framework really affected life in, in both sides of, of, of the city. Um, now, Stuart, I gather you, um, you live now in Berlin, um, but you've written about the 80s in your book, haven't you, and, and what it was like. Um, could you maybe yeah. sort of say something about...
1: Sure, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, it was a defining time in terms of... Uh, the 80s itself. I mean, it took so long for the city to, you know, I, I suppose, repair after what happened in the war. I mean, it was, it was an apocalypse, essentially. Um, and it was still largely destroyed in the 70s and early 80s as this, this movement, these subcultures came to being. Um, and I think it's important to remember that what had happened, you'd already had all these radicals like the Red Army Faction and um, and you had essentially all the, the freaks and radicals and artists from Germany who really were very upset with what was happening in, you know, in West German society. They felt like they'd sold out to the American imperialists. Um, they felt that the Nazis were still running the country, a lot yeah. of them as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in a sense, you know, that was kind of true. Um, and, well, I mean, de-Nazification hadn't been as thorough. Anyway, they, they yeah, had, an there problem. were... <laughs> yeah oh, there totally were a lot of ex- nazis yeah. who had positions in government oh, and yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah. but 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 apart from that, I mean that's a bit earlier, um, but essentially the reason they came to Berlin was because it was it was demilitarized from essentially from the beginning of the occupation. so if you are in West Berlin you didn't have to join the army, um, and at that time the uh, all the major industries you know Berlin had been the grand Prussian capital. You know, it was a city of four and a half million. It had a million more than it had today, than it has today, even in, in 1930. Um, you know, at the yep, sort yep. of peak of the Weimar Republic. Um, and then, so what? The, what happened was all the industry and, and Siemens, all these great companies they left. left. There was yeah. nothing left. Uh, there was no work. Um, what there was was uh, kind of refugees. And these artists and these radicals who came there because it was so cheap to live and it was subsidized. And to, to keep this capital, capitalist island alive within, again, it was the last bulwark against communism yeah. essentially. Um, and it was the front line of the Cold War, as we kind of, most of you probably yep. know. Um, the only way to do that was to subsidize it and keep these people there somehow. So they, it was an island, it was a kind of no man's land, and people could just drift around in there and do whatever they want and be whatever, and they could be whatever they wanted to be. And that's kind of the background. I think it's important, you know, and bands that we're going to talk about, like Einsturz uh, and Neubauten, which means collapsing new buildings, was essentially about this kind of, this sense of flux, and, and, but also finding creativity amongst this destruction, you know, at making stuff out of, found objects yeah. and stuff. So we'll get on to that, yeah, but I think that's yeah. an important background to, to what we're gonna discuss and what this movie essentially discusses.
0: Yeah,
2: Mathilde, do you want to say something about Berlin, like from your perspective, from a West German perspective? Because you didn't actually live, you were living in Dusseldorf, I think you said, and in Munich, and but you no doubt went to Berlin a lot. Yes,
3: yeah. I, I don't live in Berlin, but um, in Dusseldorf, yeah. and there was a scene too. Music scene too, but can I speak German? And you, you translate. I think it's better for me. You're doing great. You're doing great. Good job. Um, Yes.
2: Well, look. Why don't we talk about the music? Because um, you know, the the eighties was this was this incredible sort of explosion of 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 grassroots music. I mean, what we'd now call independent music, although we didn't sort of use the term back then. It was just these bands um, springing up. In, in Berlin, but also Dusseldorf, Hamburg, Munich. Um, I mean, I was in um, Erlangen at the time studying and we had our own sort of local bands. And um, so, I mean, what sort of influences? What was influencing the bands? I mean, what's, how would you classify it? How would you describe the music? Because it's, it's quite sort of indefinable in some ways.
3: I think they, they searched uh, another kind of music yeah. in the 80s and they don't want to play the stadium rock music. Yep, yep. move away from prog rock and from crap yes, rock, yep. Yes, um, and, and it was not necessary to to be a good musician because everybody plays uh, 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 music. The artists, uh, Kunsthochschulen. Oh, on the, on the the, art students, art students. Art students uh, uh, make music films and so on, it was genre-übergreifend. Yeah, yeah it crossed yeah, over yeah, cross, crossover yes. or cross genres. And, yes, yeah. and some good musicians uh, played another instrument to be not too, 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 too good, too, 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 oh, too professional. Oh. So that's sort of a
2: technique that you get in, in art, isn't it? That, you know, yes. people that can actually yes. train artists but yes. deliberately paint with their left hand or their other hand, and so you're saying yes. that musicians played yes. the,
3: the instrument that they were least good at. Yes. Oh, God. And they, the, the lyrics are in German, not in English. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I remember 80s. at the time that was a really big thing because I was there in the early 80s and, you know, that they were singing in German. But I mean, were bands singing in English before or was it just a bit of a tendency to sing in English? I mean, yes, Kraftwerk.
3: Kaffberg sang Kaffberg was a little bit earlier in the 70s yeah. yes, that's right but uh, normally they they the groups sing in English Sing sang in English yes For, to 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 be more successful yes. in the international yes. market yes. yeah yes.
2: so so the german language was really important um they didn't aim to be sort of successful and they weren't partic- at all interested in commercial you know getting commercial
3: deals or record deals were they that's right yes yes they only want to make music and to experiment, uh, to make experimental uh, experiment music. Uh, and it was not necessary to be, to be uh, what is it called? Uh, virtuos, virtuos. Yeah, you didn't actually have
2: to be good at your instruments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the,
1: and, and also, because, yeah. because you could live in, especially in West Berlin without any money essentially. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, the, the state basically paid your rent and you could survive on, on nothing which helped as well so you didn't need to be f- successful <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> you know. right.
3: and the einstützen neubauten they had have had no money and they played with with other things with that's with, right yeah, they, they sort of improvised instruments. their instruments yes, yes. And, and
2: and then of course in east germany they just didn't have you know technologically sort of modern you know amplifiers were really hard to find so they you know i've i've seen in your exhibition there's um, um, a drum kit which uh, I think is a dru- is, is a um, a plastic yes. drum yes. Yes. filled with yes. junk filled with stuff and filled with with Lego stones. Oh, with and stones Lego, Lego. Lego pieces.
3: Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So they had, and I don't know some of the bands instead of amplifiers, they use their sort of radios and and things
3: like that. I think. Yes. And they they build their uh, instruments themselves. Yes. So
2: in terms of style, it was a, a real hodgepodge, or you know, völlige Mischung von Stilrichtungen, a bit of punk, post-punk, industrial, electronic. Were there sort of separate you know schools, or was it all just pretty much
3: you know anything goes? Um... Yes, but we in the exhibition we have seven bands. They are really, I uh, sind ganz anders. Yeah, they're all quite different. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: The scene wasn't so defined, I mean, in terms of musical, there was no genre. Uh, It crossed over. The the most important thing is that, as they say a lot in the exhibition, and I've got Bliktha quoted here in the book and stuff, was that there are no boundaries. And, you know, It was about, you know, as you say, but it was, it was avant-garde as well. It was experimental, but it was intellectual as well. It wasn't in this punk thing of just DIY, you know, yeah, we can yeah, do whatever yeah. we want. Yeah. It was very intellectual and they, they drew on, you know, the 20s kind of Russian avant-garde and, and Walter Benjamin even. And mm-hmm. it was quite actually sophisticated in a way in the way they were sort of approaching this. It was, a, it was, an, art, it was an art installation, essentially.
3: It was the beginning of the performances and, and the videos and the music videos. The Tödliche Doris, the band Tödliche Dores works with uh, a performance and with... Uh, That's right, it was the more, yeah, the, the more of the happening performance yes, art. Happening, it. Yes, happening, um,
1: yes. They were all from art school, weren't they, from that band? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And
3: okay. the band Der Plan from Dusseldorf, too, were art yeah. school. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And the lyrics were um, ironic. Yeah, ironic lyrics and um, very special, very special. Um,
2: yeah, the, the names of the bands too are, are sort of fascinating. Um, you know, like the, the FSK, which is voluntary self-control, which um, is, a, is apparently a, a form of uh, a classification used in cinema to you know, for mature audiences. I mean, so you know, they're very playful times. Self censorship. Self censorship. Self yeah. censorship. Or um, um, yeah, Einsturz and Neubauten You know, the collapsing new buildings. Or how do you translate that in your
1: book? Collapsing so, new buildings. Yeah.
2: I love it. Yeah. Mm. It um, just sounds so bizarre.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, that was a very political comment on also the state of housing. The fact that they were they were getting all these uh, sort of was selling off a lot of the the old tenements and getting um west german property developers to build all this dodgy housing and stuff um and he could see through the sort of politics of that and what was driving that and um he was sort of making a comment yeah. he, he's yeah. saying that there was very bad quality prefab buildings that were probably going to fall down yeah. um as quickly as the war brought them, <laughs> brought down the old city yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing, um, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and then you've got the Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, the German-American friendship, which I don't know, how do you read that? I mean, what, I mean, I sort of see that I as... I think maybe, it is ironic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a commentary on Germany, West Germany's position in, you know,
3: in NATO as, you know, close ally of the Americans and the... You know. And you have a band, we have a band that came from uh, East Berlin. Yeah. It's called Ornament and Verbrechen. Yeah, Ornament and Crime. And Crime, yes. And, and they were not allowed to play in East Berlin because of the name. <laughs> yes, that, the Piraten Gigs, what is it called? They what played mean? Piraten Gigs. Oh pirate gigs. That's a cool yeah, term. I haven't gigs, heard
2: of that. Yes. Pirate gigs. Well of course the East was a complete had its own subculture, its own music culture, but wasn't quite as rich from my understanding of it. Um, because of course in the East everything had to be approved by the state. If you wanted to get a gig, you had to hand in a song list, you had to you know and, and you actually had to be a registered musician, you had to be a professional musician. So, you know, most of the bands in West Berlin wouldn't have been registered if they'd been in East Berlin. But so when did ornamental fabrication play? Was that towards the end of the regime? End of 80s. the 80s? It was more the end, was More it? in the end of the
3: 80s, yes.
1: yes. Mm. I think um, it's interesting that you talk about, I think they were quite deprived of uh, access to music. They were able to listen to the radio and, and in, the, in West Berlin. Um, but it's interesting that the, the main character in this film that you're about to see, Mark Reader, yep. who the, the narrative is formed around, he's an English guy from Manchester who, came to Berlin, um, to West Berlin in 1978, um, and he's still there, and he's done a lot, a lot of amazing things, and you'll see some of his story here, but he, um, he was very interested in what was going on in the East, and I think a lot of foreigners were. For the West Germans, it was more difficult in a way, and they, I think they were conflicted, um, but he mm-hmm. was the first guy to go over there regularly and start to, to try and join up the subcultures, and he put the first ever illegal uh, gig with a punk band on in 1982 in East Berlin. Um, we don't, he doesn't really go into it in yeah. in a b movie, but uh, the T- Deterten Hosen, the dead trousers, played um, uh, in a in a, it was a, basically in a church hall in uh, 1982, and he did it again a few years later under. Uh, I mean, it was a major operation and he could have gone to jail for a long time for, for doing it. But, um, uh, that, yeah, I mean, that was, sort of, that was sort of part of the movement in a way. That was the kind of thing you did, you know. Um, and it was just about solidarity again and just doing it. Um, yeah.
3: But they are very famous now
1: in Germany. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Tottenhose and I. The are very famous.
3: So were all the bands...
2: We're,
1: we're about done, I think. Okay, right. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, well... Um, now um, would we like to would you like to say something about the mark reader you said um, that you have interviewed him and
1: uh well yeah I mean just quickly a bit of background about the film mark Reeder, he's, uh I interviewed him for this book and um, I talked to him also about the film um, he did a lot of he did some documentaries for BBC and radio uh, Sorry, for channel Four in the early '80s and um, he uh, He had all this amazing footage that he thought was lost, he'd forgotten about, and there were all these other guys um, from the West Berlin scene uh, who you know, discussed the idea of trying to bring some, put something together. And I think they discussed it with you, didn't they, a few years ago? Um, but it was actually a lot of this footage that you'll see actually came from Mark um, and the work he'd done on English TV. And it's sort of, it was lost. They thought it was lost, and they somehow found it in the archives. Um, and uh, that's, you'll, wow. you'll, you'll kind of see him, him comparing stuff with another British woman.
2: So is it sort of a? It's not a straight documentary. It's got all this original footage, but it's a.
3: I, I think it's not a straight. It's documentary. Not a straight documentary, not, right? No,
2: no. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you want to say about the film? About the film. Okay. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> I think you are too.